Welcome to Super Real Prevention Podcast, a substance use prevention and awareness podcast series supporting Clinton County and our surrounding mid-Michigan neighbors. Hosted by the Clinton Substance Awareness and Prevention Coalition and sponsored in partnership with Mid-State Health Network, Mid-Michigan District Health Department, and Ethan Risa. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook and check out our website at drugfreeclinton.org to subscribe to our partner newsletter, Mental Health Matters. Hi, everybody. It's Heather again, and I'm here with my friend Holly Nakama today. She's been a longtime friend and now a colleague of mine. Holly is our Tri-County Community Wellness and Prevention Advocate who works for Ethan Risa, um, and she's here today to help us dive into self-care. How are you doing today, Holly? I'm doing well. Thanks, Heather. Uh, it's interesting that you asked to do self-care today because I I had an experiment in practicing self-care today. I didn't sleep that well last night. So it was a testament to, well, what am I going to do for my own self-care? So I started off the day making sure that I did some yoga and, you know, was very gentle with myself and moved slowly and then made a list to help focus my mind and started preparing for our talk today and got really excited and realized that this is something I love talking about. And it always an act of self-care that we don't often think about is just doing things that we love. But today did start off with uh, a bit of a test to see, do I walk my own walk when it comes to self-care? So <laughs> I always have to laugh when life throws us curveballs like that to see if we're really honest about what we're talking about. Well, good. Well, so far so good because you made it here today. So <laughs> I did. I did. Fully, fully intact. That's awesome. Well, I'm so glad you're here with us, and I'm really excited to hear more about this from you today. I feel like this topic is always relevant, but maybe even more so now during the pandemic and stress and always relevant, of course, to young people going through lots of transitions in their life, um, parents of those young people. So I just feel like this will be really applicable to everyone listening to this podcast today. I'm really excited to have you help us learn more about it. So um I guess, like, let's just start out with, you know, can you tell us a little bit, what is self-care? Well, I just want to first say, absolutely, you're 100% correct that every, that this is such an important topic for everyone right now. Our mutual colleague and trauma expert, Malia Boughton, said that during these multiple pandemics that we're in right now, we're all experiencing the trauma of that. And trauma is simply acute stress. And so we all respond differently to stress and self-care is really how we respond to inevitable stresses in life and how we respond to the demands in our life. So a basic definition of self-care might be something like how we tend to our activities of daily living with special regard to our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being or our emotional well-being, if that fits us more appropriately. And we, like I said, we can't control what kind of stresses come up in life. Things happen, but we can cultivate a way of responding to those stresses. And that's what, that's where I see self-care coming in. And so self-care generally is thought of in kind of like three main areas with how we tend to ourselves, body, mind, and heart. But 
in broader scopes, it really has eight dimensions. And so when we look at um, the full dimensions of self-care, we can see that there's other areas as well that would include environment. What is our, what's our environment of the place that we live, the city that we work, city or town, wherever we work, our financials, our intellectual, uh, what we do for work, our social. These are often areas that people don't necessarily think about self-care, one of the things I think that jumps to people's mind, and I'm probably guilty of it because I mentioned the word yoga already like within the first 30 seconds of this podcast, is that self-care has to be, you know, going to some place, doing something that costs money, or you have to, it has to be a certain way. And it's really not. Self-care is anything you do to help improve the quality of your life, simply put. So there have been studies that show that people who get up and make their bed every day, that's an act of self-care, that they actually have like really better health outcomes. Self-care is actually you know, doing your taxes. I'm, I'm working on my taxes right now. And so taking care of the things of basic life. When we make food for our children, provide healthy meals for ourselves and for others, that's part of self-care. It can include things like taking a vacation, but I find that self-care is more about those daily activities that help us to make sure that we're caring for all the aspects of ourselves. And so again, it does include the you know the basic dimensions, but also our whole lived environment. I I love that um, you kind of touched on that. I know way back in the beginning of the pandemic when I had my kids with me, like two months solid with no relief because everything was shut down and you, we weren't seeing people. And and then you know my mom decided to take them for an afternoon uh, in the summer and took them out to a park, and mm-hmm. I had. The first time in two months, 10 weeks, I had actually calculated that I was alone. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with myself? Like I could do anything. I could do yoga, take a book or, you know, read a book or take a nap or, and all I wanted to do was clean my house. And mm-hmm. it was like, I, I felt lame, but I was like, no, really, really, really what I want to do right now is clean my house, have my house look nice. And it was, it made me feel so much better. And I surprised myself that that's what I did, but I really felt um, a lot more balanced after taking that time to do that. So for sure, that makes complete sense. The same study that looked at how making your bed improves your health also looked at how just being organized can help people. And we know that a lot of times when we're about to work on a big project, there's kind of this nesting instinct that we have to organize our space. So a lot of times when women are getting ready to have a baby, they want their home set up, not just because they know they'll be busy 24 seven when the baby comes home, but because it, it sets the mind at ease. And that's one of the things about self-care that I really am passionate about sharing with people is that, the more we do self-care, the more we want to do self-care. 
it actually trains the neural pathways in our brain to tell us that we're going to respond to life stresses with caring actions that take care of us in a variety of different ways. And so I know one of the common questions people ask is, well, how often do I have to do it? And I like to tell people that to do smaller bits more frequently is way better than to wait until you have a whole day off, a whole afternoon off, even a whole five minutes off. Self-care can be a one second activity where you smile. Literally, it raises our energy level and endorphins to smile. It's as simple as that, even when you don't feel like it. And laughing has even better results. And laughing when you don't feel like it as well also raises endorphins, gives your ab a good workout, and you end up smiling and genuinely feel happier after laughing, even if you're forcing it. So this idea that self-care has to take a long time or cost money, those are just two of the biggest myths that there are because self-care is really just a way of life. And just back to kind of creating that connection with ourselves, the more that we can do self-care throughout the day in little ways, the more confidence we have in ourselves, in our ability to meet life. And certainly, as you already said, this year has presented us so many curveballs, so many unknowns. And we don't have to know how to deal with them. But when we have the confidence to know that we're taking regular caring actions for ourselves in response to stress, it builds our confidence and our resiliency to know that, okay, life, I may not know how to respond to this, but I've got a pretty good track record going of being able to respond to some things in my life without perfection, but with caring. You got into a couple of the myths about that. And um, is there more myths you can kind of bust for us about self-care? Yes, for sure. This, like I said, is one of my favorite topics. So the number one myth, I think, is the time issue. People always feel like, well, I don't have time for self-care. And when we break it down, we find time for the things that we want to find time for. And another myth that coincides with this is that it has to take a long time. So granted, yes, a mom with a new baby does not have as much time as somebody perhaps who's retired, but everyone's life is different. And because self-care doesn't have to take a lot of time, this is one of the areas where I feel like we and I myself can get tripped up. We can get tripped up in perfectionism to think that, well, I have to have all this time or to do something that is even complete. So sometimes, you know, generally every day I make sure to get outside and take a walk. That's been like something that has saved me during this pandemic, just connecting with nature, but also moving my body. 
there have been, you know, several days where I did have a really busy day. I had back-to-back Zoom calls or had deadlines, but I still went out and I walked the block in the neighborhood. And an older version of me might have said, well, if I can't take the full 30-minute walk, then it's not a bona fide act. Mm -hmm. And that's just simply not true. It was like touching in to that self-care practice. And it boosted that sense of like, no, I'm doing something good for myself. It may not be the full package of what I would want, ideally, but I'm still adding to this bank of resilience. And I I like to think of it that way. I think that's really helpful for people to think about like, if you have this bank of wellness and you're just dropping, you know, pennies in it or drops of water in your, in your well and filling it up. And there's something called the wellness cycle that I love to tell people about. And it's basically the opposite of the illness cycle. So let me explain that first. The illness cycle is, let's say we have a chronic condition or a pain. What we might do with that is we might feel discouraged and we might do something self-defeating and then we might feel bad about that. And so then we might feel more pain and we might move less and then we might start to feel depressed and then our pain feels worse. But what's nice about the pain or illness cycle is that any point along that cycle, we could add one little bit of self-care and it starts the wheel turning in the complete other direction. So for example, like today, I didn't sleep well last night and I could have like rushed right into the first thing, which sometimes I'll choose to do. I'm not perfect either by any stretch of the imagination. But I added, I added one of my favorite self-care activities and it doesn't, it, it's whatever is good for you. There's no right for um, everyone. And so I added that activity and soon I felt better. And so after I felt a little better, I actually organized my week on paper by journaling, which is something that I do for self-care. And the wellness cycle just kind of took off. And then I found myself just feeling refreshed and happy. And, you know, I still may not feel as resilient at three o'clock today (laughs) as I might have yesterday, but I got the wellness circle going in the opposite direction. And that's the idea is that any of these simple things that I'm talking about for self-care are turning that wellness turning us into a wellness cycle, adding those drops of water or coins in our bucket, however you want to look at it. And so that is a big myth about time that, you know, smiling, um, laughing, calling a friend, being altruistic, research has shown, is something that, um, is really good for our health and doesn't take that long. Or we could even text an emoji, you know, to someone just say, hey, thinking of you, heart, love you. And we often feel good about that. So it can be something that takes 30 seconds to start the wellness wheel in the other direction. It can be something that takes a half hour. It doesn't really matter what it is. 
And so the time factor, that's, that's one of the biggest around um, myths and self-care. I would say the other one that I touched on is perfectionism. This idea that it has to be perfect, that it has to be complete. So sometimes when I want to envision my perfect day, it ends with this nice, soothing music and journaling, reflecting on the day. And sometimes it plain just doesn't look like that. I'm trying to get to bed for an early meeting morning. And instead of going with the perfect model, I'll I'll do a cluster map of journaling activities where I just quickly jot down some of the highlights of the day and some of the things I need to remember for tomorrow. And it will take me literally one minute. And So that kind of like letting ourselves off the hook with these expectations or going back to your example, like cleaning your house. So let's say you couldn't clean your own house, your whole house, Mm -hmm. but maybe you could clean up the kitchen table and like, how good does it feel to like just clean one area and like, just look at that. You can look at the rest of the house and feel overwhelmed and go, ah, but if you just like focus on the one thing and celebrate that, that's also a way that we can crack that perfectionism uh, habit that really stops us in our tracks. I would say that the other huge, huge thing about self-care is shame. Feeling like we're no good at it or we shouldn't even need it. We live in a culture in some ways that teaches us that self-care is selfish. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever heard the analogy of the oxygen mask, when we're on an airplane, they say, you know, if you have young children with you, put your oxygen mask on first. And we all know why that is. It's because if we're going to care for our young children We can't be passed out because we can't breathe. So we have to put that oxygen mask on ourselves and then we're better able to care for other people. I like to say that it's just loving to care for ourselves. I mean, it's, of course, we want to meet our responsibilities in life, but sometimes I feel like there's a mixed message when it says, care for yourself so you can care for others. And that's kind of like an undermining message that, says, well, you're actually not worthy of caring for. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge myth. Um, That is a huge myth that I definitely find pervasive in our culture that somehow after a certain age of childhood, we're no longer worthy of the same kind of care, compassion, or kindness that our children are. None of us would judge our kids if they well, we may judge them, but we wouldn't stay there if they were having a temper tantrum. We might just realize, you know, they're tired. They need a time out. They've had a rough day. They're hungry. But when we get cranky or when we don't find ourselves in the space that we want to be, maybe we don't feel very charitable toward people we all of a sudden judge ourselves and shame ourselves. And the last thing that a lot of people want to do when they're in that judgmental state is do something kind for themselves. And for me, I can share that this is a big aha. I was recently taking a class 
where a continuing ed class where someone said, what is the, what are the two components of behavior change? If you do things that are kind of like, don't really serve you, maybe maladaptive. We all have those. And the facilitator said, the first one is awareness. And what's the second one? And I was thinking, well, maybe it's action or acceptance. And a lot of us in the class were struggling for what is that second piece? And she said, it's self-compassion. And I just loved that. And what she taught us was that even if we do a self-defeating thing, to go ahead and do the self-care thing after it. And I just thought that was brilliant. And I've actually tried that. Like when I've run some old pattern of mine, I I remembered what that facilitator said. And I thought, ah, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to spend time with gardening because I love it. Anyhow, I'm going to show myself compassion. And that is also something that just builds on itself, this momentum. So that breaking that shame and that that belief that we don't deserve self-care, huge myth that just needs to be bust wide open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I can very much relate to that. And, uh, you know, I, I do think it's it's nice to... It's nice to hear you say it out loud, though, because, you know, you feel it like you feel I've felt that struggle in me. But to hear you say it like that was self-compassion, that's really um, that that makes me feel good going forward. I'm going to latch on to that when I'm struggling a little bit. So that's great. Um, yeah, it's a real game changer for me. Um, yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to say about myths, and this is a big one, is one size does not fit all. Like we tend to compare ourselves and what we need for self-care. And even as the same human being from day to day, Hmm. our self-care is going to look different. So especially along the lines of our personality. So I happen to know you well, and I know that you're married to an introvert Mm -hmm. and you're an awesome spouse in that you give him his alone time. And you're a little more extroverted. And so some of your self-care might look very different than what his would. And people often compare what they need with other people and get confused or are more hesitant to give themselves what they need because it doesn't look like the norm of maybe culture or their family, their family of origin that they were raised in or their current family, who they live with or, or their coworkers. And for me, I grew up an introvert and my family was very extroverted and I needed all this like downtime for myself. And it took me a long time into my early twenties to figure out that that's just what I needed for me to be my best self. And now my family actually jokes with me. If I get a little cranky, they're like, oh, isn't it time for you to go do your meditation? (laughs) And they actually appreciate the self-care that I do for myself because I like who I am better and they do too. Mm -hmm. And it brings out the best in everyone. And so we need to, well, we don't need to, but it's really helpful to think about what 
it is that we specifically need. And like I said, it is going to be different by season, by day. Certainly during the pandemic, I I work also as a coach uh, with people around self-care. And I found that many of the people I work with during the pandemic, they've needed a lot more things that are grounding. And what I mean by that is if they were someone who, for instance, used to do something like more mm, silent meditation or introspection, they might find themselves needing to more work with their hands in the garden or take more walks in nature or be more with people in safe ways, obviously, um, uh, during the pandemic. And I'm, I'm just finding that when we're stressed, we need a lot, a lot of things that help us to land more in our bodies. Because when we're stressed, we tend to move into our head and we just think a lot and we can start to worry. And so it's been interesting just to notice that it, in myself and in all the people that I work with, this trend that a lot of people are needing to do more physical things to feel connected to nature, or like you said, organizing your home. We've, we've been in our homes nonstop, so mm-hmm. we have to look at the mess and maybe we're more motivated to spring clean. Those are all activities of self-care. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you brought up the differences in people too. You know, it's, it's interesting because you're right. My husband and I are, we're, wired very differently. And um, I think, you know, from the beginning of our relationship, I would say, Hey, you look stressed. Like, why don't you go up North for a few days by yourself? And he loves that, but it's been interesting. We've been married 10 years this year and I'll tell people, my husband went up North this weekend and they'll say, Oh, was he with buddies? No, I just, he went up there and, Oh, are you guys doing okay? Like, it's like, (laughs) that like our marriage is crumbling because we're not together or he's not with friends. And I say, no, like that's just what he needs for his, like to rebalance himself. He needs to do that periodically, but you know, he, he doesn't care what people think of him, but I can imagine the judgment of some people who would care. That would be hard for them to say, gosh, I needed to get away. And people made assumptions that about me or, and so it just kind of interesting, you know, I don't necessarily feel the need to spend, you know, four days in the woods by myself (laughs) but he does and you know it's um you know it's interesting you know you talk about journaling you know I've gone in waves where I've really liked journaling and waves where I've gone out of it and waves where I think what I felt like I really needed to do was like get into a really good sitcom and binge watch a couple episodes every night because it made me laugh and it made me feel good and you know it's kind of brainless in a way but like Mm -hmm. and I feel like there was points in my life where I would have judged that about myself like should I just be sitting and watching tv or should I you know is that high enough level Mm self-care you know that kind of that kind of judgment and now I'm like you know what no it is because I feel good coming off of watching an hour of comedy and Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah I've definitely kind of just I'm I'm resonating with a lot of the connections you're making in my family life I'm loving what you're saying in so many ways. First, just kudos to you for being a supportive partner that can recognize somebody else's self-care as different and not be judgmental. I think that's one of the biggest barriers that people face in doing self-care. If the people around you 
judge you or take personally you doing what you need to do by setting a boundary, then it's harder to do. It's harder to take care of ourselves in those ways. And it's hard to say no to people. And that is part of self-care. It's one of the the best forms of self-care is to actually do less, to be more is one of my favorite phrases is that like the, the less I overcommit, the more fully I can show up as a well person and be who I really want to be with other people. But if we're in atmospheres where that's not supported, it's, it's harder for us to do those things. So whether it's memories of our family of origin, maybe didn't, didn't support ways that we needed to do self-care or didn't teach us, uh, or whether it's people we're currently around that can make a big impact on us. And I wanted to mention something about that in regards to role modeling. So for me, there are some things that just automatically I know to do from my upbringing for self-care. There are some things that I had to pick up and learn that were hard for me. I've never been great at time management and I've had to like pick up learning Covey's four quadrants for myself and learn to like break down tasks because I was kind of always a procrastinator or actually not a procrastinator. I just always tried to do too many things and didn't have a realistic picture of how many things I could realistically do. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, self-care looks like actually setting a timer sometimes for 20 minutes and saying, I'm going to work on my taxes for 20 minutes and then text a friend. And I literally have done that in the past two weeks because I know that that's an area where I need to build some muscle. And so self-care can be those things that are easy for us to do. And it can also be those things that maybe we don't have any template or any role models and we can pick a role model, you know, someone that we know, oh, they're great at that. I actually think you're really great at time management. I I watch how you work and I'm like, wow, Heather is like so on top of it. She gets all these things organized and done and in, in like an easeful way. And that's, that's the piece easeful. That's the key word there. So there are these self-care activities that some come naturally, some we more adopt. I wanted to circle back though to the other thing that that I love about what you said in in terms of just talking about how you support your husband differently and how you have different needs than he does. And I, I think that's really important. I I'd like to list just, you know, a few examples of things that people might not think would be self-care, just because media or culture or the environments that we live in kind of sometimes have defined our lists of Mm -hmm. what self-care can look like. And I love that you said, you know, you did binge watch, you know, something on Netflix. And I recently read this article. um, I think it was from Psychology Today, but I'm not sure. It talked about that many of us are languishing. It said, if you don't know the word for blah that you're feeling during the pandemic, it's languishing. And it said that most people are actually needing something more of a flow state that helps them get into a flow state 
during the pandemic. And one of the activities they listed as like self-care was actually binge watching some comedies and everything that is self-care can also be not self-care, right? So everything in moderation. So if we constantly are ignoring our emotional landscape and binge watching to escape that, that's eventually will turn into self-care that doesn't work out so well for us. But sometimes we're way too serious and the the absolute best thing for us is to just take our mind off everything, distract ourselves and laugh. I've done that a lot during the pandemic. So what might be self-care for someone might be poison for another. (laughs) It just depends on on who we are and even what self-care, like I said before, for you today might not be self-care tomorrow. So self-care today might be that you spend extra quality time with your child. And tomorrow it might be that you really need some time apart from your child and you ask a family member, could they possibly step in and help out because you're feeling burned out? So just some differences in self-care. We talked about introverts and extroverts and how they might, you know, different people need time together, time apart. Then there's also differences in just some people prefer more sedentary things and some people prefer more movement-oriented things. And there's no right or wrong. We do know that there's a lot of health benefits to movement, but that movement can look so different. And this is one of this kind of goes back to a myth that I really want to bust. Um, I happen to have a mom who had a stroke And she's partially paralyzed on her left side. But one of her favorite activities every week is to listen to music at the assisted living facility where she lives. And she will like tap her toe in her wheelchair or if she can stand safely and have her hands on the table, she'll move the parts of her body that she can. And we know that dancing like raises endorphins. And we even know that visualizing um, physical activity gives you 30% benefit, just visualizing it. So there's a big myth that we have to, this one drives me crazy around yoga, that you have to be able to do certain things with your body in order to do it, or your body has to look a certain way, or you have to pay money to do certain things, or you have to go to a gym. There's so many things online and free right now breath practices, yoga practices, Zumba dance, Pilates, or just putting on your favorite song and busting a move in your living room for three minutes or Mm -hmm. two minutes or 30 seconds is those are all valid self-care things that raise our endorphins and provide lots of health and mental health benefits and just are fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate all your examples. Um, and you talked a lot about barriers and myths. Um, I do have some questions to ask you. Absolutely. Um, can I jump into those now? Please. All right. So I um, have a wonderful partnership with Fowler High School Students Against Destructive Decisions Group. And I reached out to them and told them we were doing a self-care podcast. And I wanted to get 
questions directly from teenagers about self-care. Um, and so they sent us in some questions um, for me to ask on their behalf to you, Holly. So I love that. Teenager questions are my favorite. Yes. They're often um, far better at, I, you know, identifying what they really need than we could ever <laughs> for them. So I'm excited totally. to get questions right from them. So the first question they sent in was, how does self-care relate to mental health? That is an excellent question. So self-care is really how we respond to our needs, physical, emotional, mental heart, spiritual, environmental, etc. But in relation to mental health, it is how we respond to our thinking, our emotional landscape, and self-care is the way in which we do positive caring things for ourselves that help promote mental health. So whether we have stress or we have a clinical mental health diagnosis, we can all find self-care strategies that will help us to care better for ourselves. And so often what happens is when people have a mental, a diagnosable mental health condition, they're often more clear about what really helps that because there's been more research about how sleep improves uh, mental health conditions, how eating the right foods, getting enough protein, eating breakfast so your blood sugar doesn't go low. These are all amazing tools for mental health, both um, people with a clinical diagnosis, but also just we all are on a spectrum of mental health. That's another, I think, myth that is pervasive in our society. We're all on a spectrum of mental health and wellness. And one of the stigmas that happens is that we think someone with a diagnosis is in this whole other category, but really we're all just in the same, we're all just people who are all along the same spectrum and different events in our lives can happen that affect our health, mental health in different ways. And so self-care is really our response to the stressors, either the stressor of having a diagnosed mental health condition or facing the stressors of life. And as I mentioned, we're all in a pandemic right now. So we're all experiencing trauma, acute stress. And so self-care really applies to everyone right now. They also sent in this question, which I think is wonderful. You've hit on, but I'd love to have you go more in depth with it. How often should I be practicing self-care? Right. This is the classic great question. So the easy answer is as often as you can. And the probably more detailed answer, as I talked about a little bit earlier, is I think the more we can do it, the more frequently the more consistently, like daily, multiple times a day. And again, this is like short, it can be short, but I would, I often tell people that I work with, I would rather see you do a calming breath practice for two minutes a day, every day, 
then once a week, spend a whole hour working on a calming practice. So the consistency, what it does is it it builds those new neural pathways for us that tell our nervous system when it gets stressed that we have tools and ways that we can respond to ourselves. And we begin to form a different relationship with ourselves. It builds confidence and it literally changes our brain. So I'm a big fan of less is more with more consistency. It reminds me of, we have an old mutual friend also named Heather, who um, probably 10 years ago said something to me that just stuck with me. It was so simple. She goes, I'm really decided that I just need to remind myself to take five deep breaths a couple times a day. Yes. There was no rhyme or reason. There wasn't a situational thing that happened to her in her life. It was just, I feel like this would probably be good for me to just periodically take five deep breaths throughout the day, whenever I just have a few minutes. And I thought that is so simple. They talk about the simplest self-care, but it really, truly, I mean, we all know when we actually do make a point to slow down and take a few deep breaths, how it does dramatically make us feel better. But I always thought to do it as a reaction to something. Mm -hmm. She was just building up her bank of that feel good, just, you know, just to have it on reserve. And I thought that is so smart. It's so true, Heather. I always like to tell this story when I'm teaching breath practices to people in classes that uh, this is pre-pandemic, of course, when I would get in the car and I would have this bad attitude about every other driver on the highway, like, why is everyone driving so badly today? I would know that I probably skipped some self-care practice that's that morning because my outlook would be completely different. And so I love that you mentioned the idea of self-care as preventative and proactive. Of course, it's wonderful because there's always things that are going to come our way that we don't know are going to come our way. And it's great to do self-care then, but it's wonderful to do it as a way to prepare for the inevitable unknowns of the day, the inevitable stresses of the day. And an act of self-care actually that I really love is to pick at the beginning of the day, what is the quality I want to practice today? So do I want to practice the quality of compassion or equanimity or fun or flow? Or do I want to flow with ease today? And we can choose that. That's so in life, we can't stop stress from happening, but we can choose how we respond to it. And what I find is that the more self care we do, the greater the pause that we have the, between our choices. We actually recognize that we have a choice. When we don't do self-care, we often just move into fight, flight, freeze, or appease, which is this reactive mode that happens to our nervous system. And we automatically do the thing that often we don't want to do. And when we practice self-care, it can help give us a beat to actually be aware, oh, this is that moment when I'm triggered and I have a choice. And a lot of times we'll make a choice that we wish, oh, I wish I would have made the other choice. 
But that also is that moment for self-compassion and self-care. But back to your original point, those five breaths can help us be prepared to actually be able to make a choice versus just be in reactive mode. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually flows really well into our next question from the youth at Fowler. Mm-hmm. How do I know when I should step back from life and do some self-care? Mm. This one is such a great question too. There's a book called The Body Doesn't Lie. And it's it's a classic book about trauma, but uh, the the phrase, the body doesn't lie is true. So what's our heart rate? Is our heart rate going up? What's the heat level in our body? Um, are we feeling tension in our jaw or in our stomach? So many of us have the place where we carry stress. Do you, do you have one in your body where you know, like for you, you can tell? Oh yeah, my neck just likes to lock right up on me. So Sure, sure. So for some people, it's the neck and shoulders. For some people, it's the gut. For some people, it's the jaw. And I remember it took me a long time in my 20s to even figure out what we relaxed was. And then once I knew, I actually knew I was stressed. So sometimes if we're so stressed and we've never done self-care, self-care we don't even know that our, our all these body parts are like really tensed up and tight. Um, so the body is one huge cue. The other cue is our mind. What's our mind doing? What's the self-talk that's happening? So like the example I just gave, if I think everyone around me is acting like a jerk, chances are that I'm probably upset about something and I need to do some self-care for myself. Or if, you know, I cry at the slightest you know, thing, I probably, you know, maybe I recently lost a pet or a loved one and, and I'm just, I'm tender. I'm, I'm feeling human vulnerable, which is no reason to feel shame. And so our mind and our self-talk and our bodies will help to cue us. And sometimes the people around us will say, Hey, what's up with you? (laughs) Or, you know, they'll, they'll see the look on our face and they'll, they'll give us some feedback, but the most powerful act of self-care I think is to begin to develop what they call interoception, which is an ability to know what's happening in our own bodies. What's our heart rate? what's happening with their heart rate? Am I hungry? Am I feeling tired? So these are great ways that we can help to identify when do I need self-care. And just as an aside, any day you wake up in the morning is a day you need (laughs) self-care. Or at least I'll own that. Any day I wake up in the morning is a day I need self-care. So yeah, especially during multiple pandemics. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, This is another great question from Fowler. Um, What are the best ways to practice self-care without spending a lot of money? And I think this kind of goes back to those myths you were talking about a little bit too. So It sure does. In fact, most acts of self-care do not cost any money. I've mentioned several already during the podcast, listening to music, 
going on YouTube, finding a free breathing exercise or some gentle or vigorous movement activity that's right for your particular body and health. There are free self-care activities that I haven't really talked about yet. And I just started to allude to one, but talk, self-talk. How are we talking to ourselves? That's a big one. That's completely free. And if we think about it, we're the only one who can be in charge of that. So we catch ourselves feeling anxious about something and we can feed back to ourselves, hey, I know you're stressed, but you've got skills. You may not know how to do everything perfectly, but you're going to be great. You're going to do well. And, And the more specific you can be, the better. So it's it's more helpful to be realistic and say something like, I, I remember when I was about to do a program with some youth and I was feeling a little bit nervous about it and I was on my way driving to it and I caught myself like kind of going into some negative thoughts. And I just immediately, because I had done some self-care that morning, I caught it and I said, oh, hey, you're feeling a little anxious that's normal. That's totally okay. You facilitated lots of groups with youth. You may not know what's going to happen, but you've got a really good plan for today. And you have a coworker who's helping with this. And so basically I just fed myself lots of encouraging thoughts and it made a huge difference. Other activities that we can do, singing. Singing is a fabulous free self-care activity. Organizing, like we talked about, organizing your house. It doesn't cost much money to plant a seed and maybe grow a little plant um, in your house. Studies have shown that people who living live in assisted living, if they take care of a plant, they tend to live two years longer than people who don't. Petting your dog oh, we haven't even talked about tactile ways of Mm self-care. So anyone who has had a child or been around newborns um, has heard of probably the term kangaroo care. And that's what they do with preemies when they're born is they put them skin to skin. So usually they would put a baby up to the mother's chest or anyone's chest actually um, to hold the baby. And so that act of touch, skin to skin, produces oxytocin, which is that feel-good connecting hormone. But the trick in self-care is that we can do that for ourselves. So if everyone wants to right now, while they're listening to this podcast, I'd encourage you to take both hands and just place them on your cheeks as if you're like putting your hands on the cheek of a young child that you just feel is so precious. And it just feels so good. You can also do this by crossing your arms and like giving yourself a hug. And there's something that science has shown us about putting our hands on both sides of our body at the same time, as well as the skin touch. Those all produce those good hormones. And that is all completely free. So most self-care is actually free or very low cost. The self-care, like taking an expensive vacation or signing up for this expensive class, 
those are great if you can afford them and do them. But we've also talked about how self-care is staying in a budget <laughs> so or a spending plan. And so it can be an act of self-care to just, you know, live within like your time means, your financial means, your emotional need, your emotional means. So paying attention to our own bank of what is possible for us. And so I mentioned this earlier in the podcast about saying no to something. Mm-hmm. It can be self-care to tell someone when they're asking for you to do something to say, you know, I'd love to. And right now I just, I can't another day when I have more bandwidth, I'd love to do that, but today I can't. And so those are just a few examples of different kinds of self-care that don't cost any money. And there's literally, if you Google it, you can find like a hundred ways to do self-care for free. There's so many, many different ideas out there. I love that you talked about the self-talk. And I think one of the things that helped me the most, so simple, like some meme on Facebook I saw one day or something that just said, if you're ever getting yourself, you know, getting down on yourself in your mind, like picture yourself being eight years old. And what Mm -hmm. would you tell your eight-year-old self? Because you would never belittle your eight-year-old self about something. You'd always encourage them and, and, and boost them up. And I think, like you said, that you had, you know, talked about earlier about, you know, why as adults do we think we deserve less than what we would give to our own children or, or our own child selves, you know, and just that encouragement and, um, yeah, just that love to, to share with ourselves. So completely. One of my, one of my teachers said, uh, that if we saw someone taking a hockey stick to a small child and beating them, even if they had done something out of line, we would immediately go out and stop them. And that's like really what we're doing. We're taking a hockey stick to ourselves and beating ourselves when, when we do that with our thoughts and are really mean to ourselves. And so it is important to stop that flow one one thing that I definitely wanted to mention before we're done talking today, and it's so important, is the myth that self-care has to be all about just us. So an act of self-care is going out and being part of a social justice march. An act of self-care is doing activism, speaking up for the things that you believe in, because we know that our environment affects all of us. And I believe that at heart, we are good people and we want the best for everyone. And it hurts everyone when other people are not being treated fairly and with justice. So it is absolutely part of self-care. And I think, I believe personally needs to be self part of self-care that we also do reach out and help take care of our community. And the tricky part is figuring out how to balance that with all these other things. Yesterday, I was at the park taking a walk and there were all these carns. And if if you've never heard of what a carn is, it's when people take rocks and they balance them on each other, one on top of the other. You've probably seen a picture of this before. And someone had 
built all these cairns along the entire walking path. And I, I just, I took a bunch of pictures of it because it just reminded me that this conversation was coming up and I thought, wow, yes, there are so many different ways to build balance. There's so many different ways that that looks. And so for someone, it might look like doing a lot of activism that's very out there on the streets. And for somebody else, it might be calling their representatives from home. Or for another person, it might be part of their spiritual life uh, to pray for certain situations or send good intentions. There's so many different ways to be socially active. And we need to find the ones that we can fit in our lives on a daily basis. And again, that changes from day to day and season to season. But I wanted to mention self-care and the link to how caring for others, how the two really can't be separated. Our wellness is bound up in other people's wellness. We do need to take care of ourselves to be able to extend that that love out to others. But the, the love goes in both directions. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite quotes is, everyone does better when everyone does better. I love that. That is such a simple and great way to say it. I couldn't end on a better thought. Yeah. So Holly, I'm so glad you've been here with us today. Um, As you know, our coalition is focused on substance use prevention and awareness. And I was wondering if you could kind of give us some of your closing thoughts uh, related to that and anything else you'd like to share too. Yes, thank you. That's a really important integration piece to talk about. So self-care is so central to substance use recovery, mental health recovery, and prevention. I have often thought that people who are in recovery are actually really lucky in some ways because they're very clear that they need self-care. Whereas sometimes other people feel like they can negotiate it. Eh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. I I can push it a little bit more without taking the time that I need to care for certain things in my life. And what's really beautiful, I feel like, about the recovery movement is that there's so much consciousness around, no, I need to make sure that uh, they have a saying, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Make sure you don't get any of those. And it's called HALT. And you'll often hear this from people in the recovery movement. And I feel like that's a concept for everyone. And so I think that we could learn a lot from how to live well lives from people in recovery. And that would serve us well in prevention, that if we're taking care of what is coming up for us on our insides, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and also around us environmentally, we're going to feel less stressed. We're going to better care for those things that put us at higher risk of wanting to use substances to either escape or or numb pain. And that's all normal human behavior. And some people, well, we know science has shown us that some people are more genetically predisposed to develop a physiological addiction to substances. And so 
especially when we know that doing self-care is even more important because it's so preventative, so helpful for us to stay well-balanced. But during these times, I think the pandemic has really shown us that self-care is just a way of life that I believe the pandemic has pointed us to look at, that, that we're really being called to live more holistically and to live with more awareness of what it really means to be well as individuals, as communities, and self-care in that larger sense is key. I also wanted to mention that self-care doesn't have to be over and above what we're already doing in our lives. This is one of those myths that I think people tie in with the time concept. Like I have to then have an extra two hours a day to fit this in. And instead, self-care could look like I'm going to be doing the same things, but I might do it with that generous self-talk, that compassionate self-talk we talked about. Or I might pick a practice where I take those five deep breaths every time I'm at a stoplight. Or every time I turn on the kitchen faucet, or every time I answer an email, I'm going to take a breath and think of the person who I'm responding to with a smile on my face, or perhaps I'm going to send a generous thought to them. So self-care can be interwoven into what we're already doing. It doesn't have to take all these extra moments. Of course, it's great if we can replace some of the things that we realize, oh, actually, I don't need to spend 30 minutes, you know, on Facebook today. I I might like to spend 30 minutes on doing something else. And it's not to say that 30 minutes on Facebook could be self-care because we could be connecting with people we really care about and smiling at pictures that make us laugh. So again, there's no right or wrong in this, but it's just, it's really a way of life that is integrating what is caring in the moment and how can we fit in either mini practices or, or more significant practices, but they're all significant. That's, that's the thing is that it's really a way of life. Awesome. I'm so glad you could be here with us today, Holly. And um, I'm sure that everyone listening really picked up a lot from this. I feel inspired to go do a little deep breathing myself right after this. And um, I really enjoyed talking with you. And again, I think doing things you enjoy, like connecting here today over Zoom. Um, It was just, it was really uplifting for me. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you for asking me. It was it was fun for me too and it's always a great reminder because we never we're never graduated or there. So it's it's just a continuing journey. Awesome. Thank you so much, Holly. Thanks, Heather. Thank you for listening to Super Real. We hope to connect with you again here or on our Clinton Substance Awareness and Prevention Coalition Facebook page soon. 